Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hardison. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to lay out the pods in season plan because as great as last few months have been, we finally have football back, people, and I cannot wait. So this podcast will be doing five podcasts per week moving forward. Today's Wednesday pod will be a game-by-game preview meant to highlight one helpful fantasy-relevant nugget per team, not trying to break down the whole slate, trying to get in and out with some factual funness for a good 45 to 60 minutes. Our Thursday pod is going to cover a ton of start sick questions that you can check out on Twitter at PFF underscore fantasy to submit your own. You might get around the show. And we're also going to talk some uh, DFS side of the things. Additionally, I'll be doing solo game review pods shortly after the action wraps up on Monday, Thursday, and Sunday nights. So be on the lookout for all of those. And I cannot stress enough how pumped I am that football is back. Week one is here, and we have our first repeat guest to help us break things down. PFF's own Andrew Erickson. Andrew, how's it going, man? Ian, we have actual football on this week, so I'm I, I, words can't describe how I feel right now. I usually kind of get pissed at some of these like Twitter trends when everyone's doing the same thing and making the same statements, and we've seen that over the last week where everyone's just going, you know, nine days till football's back. Oh, this time next Sunday we're gonna be sitting out watching Red Zone. I can't even hate on it, man. I, I just love it. I love every single notion that football is back. Wasn't that long ago we were worried about what happened, but we are here. And it is good, man. So, like I was saying, we're going to go through the games. I'm going to list the matchup, mention the spread, game total. Andrew and I will each give a fantasy take, and we will move on to the next. And we're recording this on a Tuesday, so we don't even have injury reports yet. There's plenty of time throughout the week to more fully form our opinions, but we thought this would be a good way, getting familiar with the week, adding some helpful fantasy nuggets as we go. So, without further ado, our first game of the 2020 NFL season, Thursday Night Football, we got the Texans at the Chiefs. Chiefs are nine and a half point favorites and the over under is set at 54. So I'm going to start off here with a little word on the Texans. So I think what has kind of gotten lost in their offseason storyline a little bit is, okay, losing DeAndre Hopkins objectively sucks for any offense, but there's been a lot of times over the last few years where, you know, Hopkins is getting doubled. Will Fuller's already hurt. And, you know, we've seen Kiki Cootie, of all guys, you know, get 91 targets over his last game. DeAndre Carter was getting fed at certain points. I mean, Watson just hasn't always had a bunch of options around the field to really make things go. So, Mr. Moneybags, we all know. I mean, everyone here at PFF treats Watson as a top five QB. And I'm not saying he's going to be better without Hopkins because, again, you can replace any of these wide receivers with Hopkins and the Houston Texans or any NFL team will want to do that at a moment's notice. But having Fuller, who we've seen Hopkins, who we've seen uh, Watson average 8.7 yards per attempt with 7.3 yards per attempt without having Brandon Cooks, who's increased the yards per attempt of Brady breeze and Goff throughout his career in Cobb and stills. It's a really good four wide receiver set. They got two receiving friendly RBs do not underestimate the potential for this Houston offense passing game in particular to boom early in 2020. Andrew, tell me about the chiefs. Dude, so about the Chiefs, man, it goes around. I looked at McCole Hardman because people are going to want to try to play this guy because of all of his highlights last year. You know, his over 20 yards a catch hit on, what was it, like 20 catches or so. But it was interesting. I looked at him specifically when the Chiefs played the Texans last year, and his average depth of target was really low, 6.6 compared to the rest of his season mark, which is at 9.8. Um, his yards per catch, like I mentioned, was at 21 during the regular season, but during against the Texans, it was at 10.7. So I'm, this isn't a game where you're going to be, hey, I'm going to start Michael Hardman. He's going to be my guy. He's going to blow up. This is probably not the game for it. If anything, I really like Travis Kelsey a lot more. I like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire a lot more as kind of the main targets if you're playing in DFS to showdown slate, which is big. It's going to be a lot of fun. 
and even going away from Tyreek Hill a little bit because we see these splash games from these receivers on the Chiefs, whether it's Demarcus Robinson, whether it's Sammy Watkins. And I feel like Tyreek Hill, obviously, he has the best chance of hitting out of all those receivers. But for me, I'm really looking more at the wide for or I'm looking at Travis Kelsey, I'm looking at Clyde Edwards Hilaire. I'm kind of staying away from these other receivers. Yeah, I really I'm high on Miko Hartman for this year, still am, but week one is not gonna be the time to take that chance, people. We gotta get a view of those snaps, of those targets before we're gonna fully hype on that train. All right, Sunday at 1 p.m. We got the Packers at the Vikings. Vikings are two and a half point favorites over under a set at 45 and a half. And I don't know if there's another backfield in the league that I'm gonna be rushing to look at the snaps and touches for after this one than the Green Bay Packers. I mean, Aaron Jones last season could not even crack 60% snaps when Jamal Williams was healthy. I mean, Williams literally played between 39 and 61% of the offensive snaps every game he was healthy. And now we added A.J. Dillon, who the reports coming out are that A.J. Dillon has not beaten out Jamal Williams for a number two running back spot. And, you know, I was making fun of this on the old Twitter sphere, and I'm not, you know, trying to hate on Jamal Williams. He's fine. But why are you drafting a running back in the second round when your team doesn't have any new wide receivers and then proceeding not to even give that running back a chance seemingly to start the season? So, I digress there, but either way, no, no, no matter what Jamal or Dylan are doing, it doesn't seem likely that Jones is going to be getting more than 50, 60% of the offensive snaps. The one saving grace that we might get if rational coaching wins out is if we see Jones really be used more as a receiver. I mean, he only had one game last year where he played more than six snaps in the slaughter out wide. And that's when he went absolutely bonkers against the Chiefs, seven catches, 159 yards, two touchdowns. Unfortunately, though, he averaged 3.5 targets per game with Devontae Adams, 6.8 without. Again, you know, similar to Cleveland, where I, I can feel confident about Kareem Hunt's passing pass down roll a little bit because they didn't do anything at wide receiver three. We had that a little bit of Aaron Jones, but it's just frustrating, man. I don't know if he's going to get the volume that we all want him to get and the volume that he deserves. So we'll see what happens there. Andrew, what do you got to say about the Vikings? Well, the Vikings defense, let's start there. It is a complete overhaul of what we saw last year, even though we were targeting Xavier Rhodes constantly with receivers and, and peppering him with targets because he was, you know, all roads were open when it came to his coverage skills last year. But their defense is a lot different, especially on the defensive line. So they're, they're without Linville Joseph and Everson Griffin now. And they actually acquired Michael Pierce from the Baltimore Ravens to fill in as an interior defender. But I just kind of recently found this out was he opted out of the 2020 season and he was a big run stuffer and he was in their plans to be part of that run defense. So when you mentioned Aaron Jones, I think that, I mean, it may only take 15 touches for Aaron Jones to do a lot of damage against the Vikings because I don't know if they're going to be able to stop the run. And they just have a lot of problems in the secondary. They're starting a lot of new players. So I like Green Bay a lot more in this game to kind of take a lead. And I think that's better for the offensive weapons with Dalvin Cook and Adam Thielen because a lot of their production comes obviously from receiving, especially when it comes to Cook. You're going to see not as much Alexander Madison because Cook's clearly the better wide, the better receiving back. And Adam Thielen, I think, is just again, going to get peppered with targets. And it's so unknown whether it's BC Johnson, Justin Jefferson, those guys. I think it's just going to be Adam Thielen locked in, 25% target share, and you know, you're good to go. Whether Jair Alexander is going to be shadowing him or not, don't really care. I think you have a lot of confidence in Thielen. I don't think you should look at this game and be like, oh, well, Vikings are just going to run, you know, like last year's week one where I think they threw like 11 times. Yeah, I'm, I'm not projecting Yair to shadow Thielen, but even if he does, I think there's more than enough target volume for him to win that matchup, maybe do so in style. All right, another NFC North matchup Sunday at 1 p.m. We have the Chicago Bears at the Detroit Lions. Lions are coming in as a three-point favorite, almost somewhat surprisingly, over under is 43. 
we know it's now Mitch Trubisky under center. I, I was surprised. And, uh, you know, I was, you know, on the Nick Foles, you know, quote unquote bandwagon throughout the off season of the self-pronounced number one QB room in the league. But, you know, I do wonder if Nagy is just doing this because of the outrageous success Trubisky has had against the Lions kind of randomly. I mean, the guy's thrown three touchdowns in each of his past three games against the Lions. I mean, last year, uh, Anthony Miller went absolutely bonkers, nine catches for 140 yards, you know, with their current slot cornerback. So Justin Cole, in shadow coverage so no problem there I mean Allen Robinson could win matchups against Darius Slay and now he's out of the picture I think uh, you know Jeff Akuda, Desmond Trufant could be a pretty formidable cornerback duo by the time the season's over but A-Rob can win against anyone and right now that's not a matchup to fear so it's one of these situations where it's a low over under and you know I don't really want to be on the Trubisky bandwagon by any stretch of the imagination but I really do like how Robinson and Miller are set up and you know if I keep overlooking these DFS lineups a little bit by Sunday, I'm going to be liking a Trubisky salary. So if only he had, you know, kept running like he did in 2017, 2018, I'd be more willing to do the low price start throw. I think I'm going to still shy away from Trubisky, but do not count out this first six, seven weeks when the Bears have these, you know, soft secondaries are going up against. Do not count out both A-Rob and Anthony Miller for making an impact early. Andrew, what's going on for the Lions? So the Lions, and it comes to Matthew Stafford, everyone's hyped up about Stafford and his, you know, unbelievable stretch of games he had last year, weeks one through nine. He was about the quarterback six, if I recall. And one of the things about that, though, is he had a really easy schedule. He didn't play the Bears once. So that's something that not enough people kind of talk about is the fact that he avoided one of the tougher matchups in his division twice. They didn't play the Bears until the second half of the season. And that's concerning for me, for Stafford, for people to just think, hey, he's going to pick up where he left off and he's going to just absolutely dominate. He's going to be, you know, Daryl Bevel is going to be, you know, all about down the field and doing all those types of things. But, you know, their schedule, again, like I mentioned, only two of the teams that they played finished top 10 in coverage grades on defense. So the Bears, who finished in that category last year, this is going to be the first time he's playing Chuck Pagano. So I have Stafford, someone that I'm not looking to start. He's outside of my top 20 top 12 quarterbacks this week. And I just don't think that this game, you know, again, we could see Trubisky flash and maybe put up some points, but I don't like this game to be a fantasy feast, I guess would be the best way to put it. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, the, you know, Chicago defense last year, I know they took a lot of crap for their quote-unquote regression. But, you know, Akeem Hicks not being there, I think had a lot to do with that, as well as the constant, you know, kind of porous uh, – uh, situations their offense was putting them in throughout the year. So I like that call. All right, Sunday, 1 p.m., Colts at Jaguars. We got the Colts as minus eight uh, point favorites, over under is 44. This game reeks of that Ravens-Dolphins vibe from last year, week one, because the Jaguars are just that bad. And look, I know the team can't go out there and tank. It's too violent of a sport for that to happen. But when your front office has just been trading away almost every single good player you have for the last six, seven months, I don't know how hype these Jaguars players are going to be to go out there and try to, you know, stop one, probably the leagues. It's PFFs, in PFFs opinion, the league's number one offensive line. So I do like looking at this passing game because I want to talk about Paris Campbell briefly. I'm looking at this passing game. I wonder what the volume is going to be. And we saw Rivers go for over 300 yards and three touchdowns against his defense last season. I believe it only took him 21 or 25 attempts to do so. So maybe he doesn't need much to get it going. And if I am going to take a chance, it's going to be Paris Campbell because looking at DraftKings pricing, they set the running back price floor at 4,000 instead of 3,000. So because of that, the real value is at wide receiver and Paris Campbell at 3,900 is in my opinion, the top 
top cost-saving flex option of the week. Dude's got four three burners. Frank Reich has complimented this guy every single turn. And, you know, I think he's pretty much cemented almost as their uh, number two option in the pass game. So Hilton, you know, I think will be out there demanding a little more attention. This new little Colts offense, I think is going to rely a lot more on underneath stuff, quick hitting type plays that should really benefit Campbell and his kind of, you know, a guy that played running back in high school and has never quite been maybe the most polished uh, route runner, you know, downfield. I think this could really set up well for him and it could be a big week one. So Andrew, is there any hope out there for the Jaguars or what, how you feeling? I mean, it's going to all come down to how many points can Chris Conley and DJ Chark get on Xavier Rhodes in garbage time. That's what it's really going to take. You know, we have Xavier Rhodes who basically, I think he made the Pro Bowl last year, but again, I, we don't know why. Again, that kind of just testifies what the Pro Bowl has come at this point. But Xavier Rhodes is the new cornerback on the Colts. So last year he earned the fourth worst PFF coverage grade because he allowed the second highest catch percentage and the eighth most fantasy points per route run in coverage last season. So Chris Conley is probably going to see the most of him, just kind of based on where they line up on the field. But Chark doesn't necessarily stay always on one side. He moves around a little bit from the left to the right. So I do think that he's going to see enough coverage from Rhodes that he can do enough damage, assuming that, you know, Minshew just doesn't kind of fall apart where we saw like last year with Miami, they just couldn't do anything even in a blowout. So I do expect more from Minshew than we saw with those Miami Dolphins last year. And with the Colts probably absolutely running house with Mac and Taylor over their run defense that, you know, just got worse with no Clays Campbell. And it was already bad last year with Clays Campbell. It's just, Shaping up to be, hey, you know, DJ Chark, just garbage time. Let's go. Chark season for sure. And I'm happy you made that point about the Pro Bowl because, you know, the day that Trevor Simeon declined a Pro Bowl invite was the day I truly stopped caring about Pro Bowls ever. If they would just assign them and let that kind of be the writer selections and whoever you need to fill out the roster, it's just a mess of a situation because of that stupid game. So, yes, do not use – Pro Bowls to define a player as being awesome these days. All right, Sunday, 1 p.m., Miami Dolphins at New England Patriots. We've got the Patriots at six-and-a-half point favorites. The over-under is 43. I'm excited because Devontae Parker and Stephon Gilmore get to meet again after Parker, you know, dropped 137 yards and eight catches on Gilmore last year, and he made a lot of them in style. I mean, you know, it's been one of these situations where throughout the offseason, I think we were kind of wondering with Parker, okay, was last year a fluke? You know, the splits are Preston Warren in the first eight weeks uh, kind of painted it as more of a 1A, 1B situation. You know, we saw four years of him not failing to do this, and now he puts together for eight games. Should we really believe Parker can do it again? And, look, it's not going to be an easy matchup for him to do this, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, 15 of 16 guys that Gilmore shadowed last season finished with under 80 yards. Parker was the only one to really dominate that matchup. But, you know, Fitzpatrick is the ultimate DGAF QB. We know he's under center week one. It sounds like Parker's back at practice and will be ready to go, uh, you know, come Sunday. It's going to be important to check that out, make sure he is practicing in a full fashion uh, by the time Friday turns around. But, you know, like any other quarterback in the league, I think I'd be concerned about Parker getting the volume in this matchup. But, I mean, don't forget, I mean, Darrell Revis back in the day, his one crypt tonight was Stevie Johnson. Stevie Johnson's quarterback, the one man crazy enough to consistently test Revis, was Ryan Fitzpatrick. So it's awesome seeing Fitzpatrick continuously go after the league's top shadow corners. I hope he does so again Sunday. You know, if it's up in the air between Parker and someone else in your starting lineup, I wouldn't mind going with the other guy. But I don't think this necessitates an auto fade by any stretch of the imagination. Andrew, tell me about the Patriots. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Bill Belichick probably holds grudges to an extent. And he, he remembers things that teams do to him. So he probably remembers fresh in his mind how Miami came into New England 
knocked them out of getting a bye week and, and basically destroyed, you know, the Tom Brady era from there on out. So Bill Belichick, and again, he also remembers when Miami ran all over him with the Wildcat. So now he's finally got himself a mobile quarterback for the first time ever. And I just think that we're going to see some type of unreal ground game attack that the Patriots are going to use with Sony Michelle, with Cam Newton and their mix of running backs in this matchup. Again, Miami got run over all last year, basically because they were always losing in games, but Michelle has seen heavy work. You know, the last two times they played the Dolphins just averaging under 20 carries per game, one rushing touchdown, 79 rushing yards. So I think it's going to be a lot of running attempts. You know, people are complaining about Newton. He's like, oh, he doesn't have any receivers. I can't get open. Nikhil here, he can't get separation. I'm just like, yeah, well, when the receivers can't get open, what does Cam do? Oh, he's going to run. Okay, great. And if you look at the Miami Dolphins last year, they gave up huge games to mobile quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, your boy, all put up 25-point-plus games. And Cam Newton's going to be joining that club this week. Yeah, and so I think one of the things Edelman even brought up this offseason was that defenses aren't going to be able to play these receivers the same way with Cam under center because, you know, you turn your back to this guy and try to press the receiver up like everyone had success with against Harry last year. You know, good luck trying to get that 6'5", 250-pound beast on the ground once he hits the open field. I cannot wait to watch Cam. I I'm more excited to watch Cam on Sunday than any other football player on the entire slate. Cannot wait. All right, Sunday at 1 p.m., NFC East matchup. We got the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Washington football team is in Washington. Eagles are six-point favorites. Over-under is pretty modest, 43. D-Jacks, revenge game season. Let's go. Jalen Rager's out. Alshon Jeffries out. Deshaun Jackson, Eagles, wide receiver one. I mean, look, I'm not going to sit here and say that revenge games is a perfect science, but it is wild that in five of uh, D-Jacks' eight career revenge games, he's cleared 100 yards, and he's also had at least one score in four of those five games. So it's one of these situations where the storyline's fun, but truly it's just a matchup I think that we got to feel good about. I mean, Quentin Dunbar finished last season as PFS number three overall corner, and for Washington to kind of trade him away to Seattle, so willingly surprising to see. So the only concern, and I'm not going to ping D-Jacks really because of a pass rush, but – you know, I'm wondering how beastly this Washington D-line could potentially be. I mean, you know, they've been bad for so many years. They've just stockpiled these kind of high-end first-round talents. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, you know, old man Ryan Kerrigan is still there holding it down too. So, you know, I do wonder, with not having Brandon Brooks, could we see a situation like with the 49ers so many times last year where the D-line just takes over? I'm going to bet no and still, you know, have plenty of exposure to Sean Jackson. But, you know, I am, I guess, a little lower on Wentz in this offense's overall uh, upside this week. Maybe I'm too wary of this Washington D-line, but I really think they could be good. Uh, Andrew, one, am I crazy about being scared of this D-line? And two, who are you looking out for on this Washington football team offense? No, I, don't, I think you got some right. I mean, they got some they got some beasts up there, especially with, you know, the addition of, of Chase Young now on that defensive line. So they can definitely rush the passer, but Wentz can move. So at worst, he can move, he can go all out of the pocket, and he can hit Deshaun Jackson deep downfield. So we just need him to break the pocket once, hit D-Jax one time, and we'll, we'll all be happy. We'll all get our ROI on DFS. <laughs> Sounds so, good. Right. So when it comes to Washington, again, the, probably the most question mark that people have with players is Antonio Gibson, who you could have drafted as you know an RB40 or something like that later in the summertime, and now he's going in the fifth round, sixth round, he's an RB2. And I think you can start him confidently this week because he's a player that's going to be involved whether the game script, it doesn't really matter, which is what we're looking for with running backs because we think that we can protect game script, but usually we, we don't, we're not right. So, but we can have confidence with Gibson where, okay, if they're winning, okay, then he's going to get plenty of touches in the run game. But if they fall behind, which is probably more likely what's going to happen, 
then you can be confident that he's going to be used as a receiver. And we saw that last year with Chris Thompson in this exact same matchup in week one. Chris Thompson had seven receptions on 10 targets with the team in week one in this exact same matchup between Washington and the Eagles. And the Eagles defense, as that's where they've been vulnerable, is giving up passes to running backs. You know, they ranked bottom nine in both targets and receptions to the running back position last year. They've lost Malcolm Jenkins. So I like Antonio Gibson a lot. Yeah, so some like Washington intern probably updated their team depth chart and put J.D. McKissick as the starter, and now all Twitter's up in arms about it. I don't care about the unofficial depth charts. You know what I do kind of care about is what Adrian Peterson said when he left, because who's been spending more time in this running back room over the last month than Adrian Peterson? Not many people. And what Peterson told ESPN's Josina Anderson is this system really fits Antonio Gibson. I feel like I can do that pony style too more as a receiving back. We were all working on it, but they really want one main guy to do it, and they drafted Gibson for it. Trust me, I still have a lot in me, more to strive and do it again. So, you know, best of luck to AP in Detroit, but it sure sounds like Gibson is going to have a featured role sooner rather than later. I am not buying any of that J.D. McKissick uh, PR-inspired hype. All right, moving on. Sunday, 1 p.m., Cleveland Browns at Baltimore Ravens. Ravens are coming in as eight-point favorites. Over-unders is set pretty high at 48.5. I'm really excited to see what this Cleveland Browns backfield looks like. They just, uh, you know, shortly before we started recording, uh, extended Kareem Hunt for two years. So, seemingly, he's going to be pretty big involved, uh, you know, fairly involved in the backfield. But will it be as much as last season? So it was great how they used him, honestly, once uh, he got done with the suspension. Kareem Hunt joined Tariq Cohn as the only RBs to play at least 30% of their snaps in the slot or out wide during that stretch. I mean, there were a whole lot of Chubb, Kareem Hunt formations. And I understand Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski, uh, the new head coach, wasn't using Madison and Cook on the field at the same time. But I think Hunt and Chubb are different enough talents to really warrant that. And, you know, the fact that they didn't add anything at wide receiver three other than re-signing Higgins and drafting Donovan Peoples-Jones, I think it makes sense that they get their best players in the field, get both these running backs rolls with 50% snaps or more. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Chubb absolutely dismantled the Ravens in that first matchup. You know, it went for 85 Plus, we, on that play, we saw Earl Thomas give up on about 20 times over the past few weeks. So I think Chubb is still the man. He could flirt with, you know, 300 carries if everything goes his way. But, you know, it's going to be interesting. And a lot of, uh, you know, first-round Chubb investors are going to be mad if this turns out to be more of a split uh, than before. But I'm cautiously optimistic we're going to see Stefanski find a way to get most of his playmakers on the field at the same t- time. Andrew, tell me about the defending number one seed from the AFC, the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, the Ravens are probably going to want to come out and make a statement just after they, you know, it was a pretty embarrassing loss that they had in the playoffs. You know, real surprise how they got, you know, pretty much beat down by the Tennessee Titans, as a lot of teams did last year, and, and Derrick Henry, of course. But something I wanted to point out was with Marquise Brown and just this matchup overall, we have two teams that I think really want to come in and run the football. The Browns definitely don't want to be, hey, Baker Mayfield, let's draw back 50 times a game. Like, that's what we want to do. I, I don't think. They, you know, Kevin Stavansky's taken in, and, you know, we saw what he did with Minnesota, you know, really focusing on the run. Why wouldn't you when you have a guy like Nick Chubb and you've upgraded the offensive line? Like, those are the things that they're going to want to do. And then you have the Ravens, who, again, you know, they've said, hey, we're going to want to throw more. But, again, it doesn't make sense to if you don't necessarily have to. You know, they have Mark Ingram. They have J.K. Dobbins. So, I think that both teams are going to kind of go in here and look to run the football. Again, divisional games, first week of the year. Don't see this game really being an explosive shootout, which is kind of why I'm lower on Marquise Brown probably. And just overall rankings for this game. I think that he's going to be really good in games where it's going to be going toe to toe with other teams. You know, if it's like a Ravens chiefs matchup, I think Marquise Brown would absolutely smash in that. But even, you know, looking back at the Marquise Brown's games against the Browns last year, 
He failed to put up any points, even when the Browns' top two cornerbacks were out in his first matchup, Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams. I remember I was like, Marquise Brown, oh my God, the two Cleveland Browns corners are out. He became DFS mega chalk, and he absolutely sucked. So that was one thing I remembered. And then even in the game with those guys returned, he again didn't do much of anything against the Browns. I just don't think Lamar Jackson necessarily needs to deploy Marquise Brown at his ceiling for them to beat the Browns. I think they're going to be able to run the ball pretty effectively. So Marquise Brown, just a player I'm, I'm not as high on this week. Yeah, I send out my uh, helicopter kind of favorite under-the-radar GPP play every uh, Saturday, low after midnight. And, yeah, Hollywood Brown versus the Browns last year uh, was that guy. So it was unfortunate to see that copter uh, go burning, crashing down the flames later that afternoon. But it is what it is. Yeah, man, I mean, Denzel Ward and Greedy Williams, actually two, maybe one of the only cornerback duos in the league that can feasibly keep up with Brown from pure speed like you. I'm not, you know, I, I think he should be in starting lineups more weeks than not, kind of that Will Fuller reasoning. But – yeah, if it's close, I, I wouldn't mind taking, you know, another wide receiver ahead of him in this spot. All right, Sunday at 1 p.m., Jets at Bills. Bills are six-and-a-half-point favorites. The over-under is set at a week low, 39-and-a-half points. So, with the Jets, I mean, I'll try to make this quick. We're gonna, we just want to figure out this Sam Darnold's pecking order. Everyone is seemingly hurt in this wide receiver room. It sounds like Perryman and Mims are going to be there, but, you know, rotation at outside receiver is likely. We got Jameson Crowder who had – just the most Jamison Crowder game ever against the Bills last season. To start the year, 14 catches, 99 yards, zero touchdowns on 17 targets. So maybe he does that again. I mean, it's kind of a low full, kind of a you know low upside play as it is. We know he's not gonna you know pop off for a true slate winning game or anything like that. So I don't know. I'm kind of soured on Crowder just because they do have you know Perryman, Mims, a little more talent there. And you know honestly, it's just the Chris Herndon show for me. Get that dude 3300 on DraftKings. Get him in those lineups start them fire them up in season long you know he's their starting tight end it's you know again not a good matchup but just the volume concentration I think is going to be so you know strictly between Crowder and Herndon potentially that we do want to soak those up so Crowder I mean I guess but Herndon that, that that's 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 pretty much what I'm trying to say start Chris Herndon Andrew tell me about the Bills yeah, man, dude, Chris Herndon, he could come out and get 15 targets. We saw it last year. Sam Darnold just locked Please. in. To, Sam Darnold just locked into Crowder 15 targets like it was nobody's business. And we've, we know his chemistry with, with Darnold is great. So he could just totally lock into Herndon. So um, the matchup's tough. But again, if he's the only one that's getting the ball, it, it doesn't really matter. So when it comes to the Bills, I think that, you know, we all are kind of souring on Devin Singletary. I mean, I have Zach Moss almost ranked higher than him just this week because I think that it's going to be more of a game that's more catered to Zach Moss. You know, you look at the game last year where the Bills were down 16 to 3 going into the fourth quarter and the Jets were going to win the game and the Bills had to come firing back and that's why you look at Devin Singletary's numbers in that week one game he had, you know, five catches. And we've already the coaches have already come out and said they're going to be game dependent. So for me that says, okay, well if the Bills are going to be winning this game, it's going to be Zach Moss. And if they're going to be losing, it's going to be Devin Singletary. So, again, I'm leaning a little bit more towards Zach Moss, who actually have ranked just one spot higher than Devin Singletary. And then when it comes to the receivers, John Brown, I think, is just going way under the radar with the signing of Stephon Diggs. Diggs missed a lot of time in training camp with some injuries. And everything I read about the beat reports was that John Brown was not – he just – dude, the dude separates like no one's business. All those receivers do. But it was the chemistry he had with Josh Allen. And we saw last year, John Brown went nuts on the Jets and their secondary is atrocious. And they don't even have Jamal Adams anymore. So I think John Brown's really undervalued. 
John Brown, I don't know, man. Stephon Diggs himself as well. Like, you know, Josh Allen, unfortunately, has never cleared 300 passing yards in a game during his career, but wouldn't be shocked if that happens week one. I might have some more words to say about Stephon Diggs on uh, tomorrow's podcast, having Kevin Cole on later in the week. And if you haven't, check out Kevin Cole's new PFF podcast, Unexpected Points. Great listen. He's been coming out with those on a weekly basis now for a week or two. And we also have the PFF College Football Podcast with Seth Galena, which is another nice listen from, you know, one of the more just knowledgeable X's nose guys I've had the pleasure of coming across. So make sure you check out those if you haven't already. All right, next game, we have Sunday at 1 p.m., the Raiders at the Panthers. Raiders are three-point favorites. The over-under is 47. This is another game that I'm just wondering, like, could the Raiders just run away with this? Maybe I'm giving them a little too much credit, but I don't know, man. Like, this Panthers defense is arguably the worst in the entire league, and their offense has more continuity concerns than anyone else. So it just wouldn't surprise me if we see this Panthers team, even if they could be fun by the end of the year, kind of have a slow start out of the gate. I do I'm, – I'm hoping that we see Henry Ruggs go absolutely nuts in, like, a Marquise Brown week one fashion as last year. I mean, look – it's I've said throughout this podcast I mean I'm I'm not one of these guys that you know had prospect rankings entering the draft I kind of like to let it come to me see where they land and you know talk to smart people that have been breaking these guys down and just really have a better understanding of college football so we've had Roto World's Josh Norris the ringers Danny Kelly they have both come on this pod and just talked up rugs so much the guy is not just a deep threat he can take these well-designed short intermediate passes make all sorts of big plays even with Derek Carr not being the type of guy to test defenses downfield so you know this is not a matchup to fear people are just so on the Brian Edwards train and look I'm I'm not saying he's bad, but Henry Ruggs, in my opinion, is the guy in Vegas. And I think we can see that as early as week one. Andrew, tell me about the Panthers. Dude, it's Robbie Anderson. My guy, Robbie Anderson. I think that he's emerging. You're the Curtis Samuel truther, but I think that he was, I mean, the way he was used last year just seems so out of character. You know, his best trait to me is, get the ball in his hands. And basically that was the issue last year was they couldn't get the ball in his hands because of all the inaccurate throws. So I do like Robbie Anderson a lot in this matchup. The Raiders secondary does not scare me at all. They actually ranked 10th in deep pass attempts face last year, over 20 yards. And looking at someone like Teddy Bridgewater, again, he's kind of put into that game manager profile, but you know, when he's been asked to throw deep, he does it. You know, he posted the second best adjusted completion percentage among quarterbacks last year on deep ball attempts. So I think that he can get it done. And when the Panthers are down by 14 points after they just gave up huge slant touchdowns to Henry Ruggs, they're going to have to get their way back in the game. So they're going to have to throw it to Robbie Anderson. And last year, Robbie Anderson had a good game against the Raiders. He posted 86 yards and touchdown. I do think uh, we might see Curtis in that, you know, lower ADOT slot role better suit his talents. But, yeah, and, I mean, Robbie Anderson, you know, going back to Temple, having that experience with uh, Matt Rule is certainly worth something. Uh, Moving on, Sunday at 1 p.m., Seahawks at Falcons. Seahawks are one-and-a-half-point favorites. Over-under is 49-and-a-half. I was honestly kind of surprised that they're only one-and-a-half-point favorites, man. Maybe I'm misevaluating these football teams, but to me, the Seahawks just seem like the much better uh, overall team, offense and defense. But the one storyline that I hope I'm wrong on, but I just wouldn't be surprised, is that we're going to be sitting here next week going, oh, my gosh, it's a two-RB backfield in Seattle with Chris Carson and Carlos Hyde. And, you know, they brought in Hyde, and everyone was kind of like, whatever, he's Rashad Penny insurance. He's He's not there to affect Carson. Well, Rashad Penny was affecting Carson when he was healthy last year. I mean, it was truly more of a 60-40, even 50-50 at times backfield between Carson and Penny when Penny was healthy. So, you know, when they say Hyde's there to, you know, be – 
okay for Penny. Like, does that mean he's going to be taking these 40, 50% snaps? I don't know. I think Carson is still definitely the favorite to lead the, you know, team in touches. But, you know, if this backfield is going to be getting around 30 carries per week, I don't think all 30 are going to Carson. And it wouldn't be shocking if it ends up being more 15-15. And this is even before mentioning how DJ Dallas, their fourth-round pick, could very well steal away some targets. So I just think it's a little more of a volatile situation than we're giving uh, credit for. I think Carson's the best talent. But, man, hopefully those fumble issues don't flare up again. Otherwise, we're going to be talking about Hyde being the lead dog in the uh, Seahawks backfield. So, again, I hope I'm overthinking this and we come back uh, next next week and Carson is just, you know, the cemented workhorse there, but would not be shocked if uh, Hyde surprises us. Andrew, who are you feeling on the Falcons and why is it Calvin Ridley? In a perfect world, we just hope that the Falcons jump out to a lead and Russ just cooks and there's no running back involvement whatsoever. Yes. So, so that's ideally what we want, but when it comes to, you know, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones, Hayden Hurst, dude, this game is, I love this game for everything that it's going to offer. You're in a dome, you have Russell Wilson, you have Matt Ryan, you have all the pieces you want that scream for an offensive shootout. And it starts with Calvin Ridley, of course, He's a player that, you know, I've been super high on. You've been super high on. The industry's been super high on as a player that's going to just break out this year. And it's probably – Seattle's defense is not one to be too afraid of. And specifically with Hayden Hurst, I think that this is a matchup where he can really make a huge impact because of the way that the Seattle Seahawks run their defense. Kind of like their offense, it's pretty, you know, per usual, pretty simplified. You know, they like to run the ball. And on the defensive side, they like to play cover three. They like to play base defense. They don't – mix and match guys a lot so it makes it easy for teams on offenses to really exploit them because they just match up their faster players against slower linebackers that are meant there to be stopping the run and when it comes to Hayden Hurst you know that's where I really see him thriving here he was really really good against man coverage last year and I just think that he has a really good chance to smash in this matchup again Austin Hooper destroyed cover three last year for the Falcons fourth and receptions fourth and yards fourth and yards after the catch it was just insanity and I just think that we are going to see you know that little that little fire emoji on DraftKings is going to be right next to Hayden Hurst matching his hair it's just going to happen <laughs> All right. I mean, Matt Schaub did throw for 429 yards against the Seattle defense last year when they were in Atlanta. So maybe I, I've been, you know, I don't want to treat Hurst as a top tight end until, you know, we just have some better feeling that he will be this passing games, number three option, but you know, it's certainly in his uh, range of opportunities and outcomes if it's, if not even likely. So we'll see, Andrew, we'll see uh, Sunday, four Oh five chargers at Bengals. We've got the chargers as three point favorites the over-under is 44 and look everyone we are playing Tyrod Taylor and I'm someone that has been on the Joe Burrow bandwagon pretty heavily throughout this offseason treating him as a QB1 but I'm confidently starting Tyrod over Burrow this week and he he's a dual threat quarterback against the team that just gave up the single most rushing yards to quarterback position last year and yes Lamar Jackson is a big reason why and the Browns were number two in that stat but I mean Kyler had 93 yards rushing against the Bengals Minshew at 48 Josh Allen had 46 and I mean look the Bengals were the second second or third worst defense in the league in yards allowed per play last year. This is anyone's idea of a great spot, whether you're a Russian quarterback or not. And, you know, I just think people underestimate, like, truly, Tyrod deserves to kind of be mentioned in that tier of Russian quarterbacks with Kyler. And he's not Lamar. I get that. But, you know, you look at these best offenses over the past five years and yards before contact per rush, and Tyrod's 2015-2016 bills are right there with the 2019 Ravens and Cardinals. So we have great receivers with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, if he's active, Henry, 
Eckler. And the Bengals allowed the most yards per attempt on targets to slot receivers last year. So, you know, some Tyrod Keenan, even Eckler DFS stacks, I don't hate it all. And, you know, Tyrod is absolutely my DraftKings cash game quarterback. Do not be afraid to take his dual threat talents during this cozy first eight weeks of the season. Andrew, how are you feeling about the Bengals going up against this defense that even though they lost Derwin James, they're still loaded somehow seemingly everywhere? Yeah, so I felt kind of good about Tyler Boyd, you know, sliding him into the rankings, and I, like, posted up, and I see everyone else's rankings. I'm like, wait a minute, maybe I'm a little too high on Boyd. And then I kind of remembered, hey, okay, we got Chris Harris Jr. in the slot. And I looked again, you know, looking at the matchups last year with Denver, and basically I looked at all, you know, their productive receivers, that you know, the primary slot guys, and almost all of them were, that were able to put up decent fantasy numbers all scored a touchdown. And that's concerning for me when it comes to Boyd because – that's something he doesn't really do a lot of. He doesn't score a lot. He doesn't see those high-value targets, whether it's down-the-field targets or targets in the end zone. Now, that could change with a different quarterback, but how he's been utilized for the past two years, he hasn't really capitalized on the amount of total volume he's gotten and turned it into touchdown production. Am I, am I right on being concerned a little bit with Chris Harris Jr. potentially covering him? Yeah, I'm not sure if he's going to be in the slot because it might actually make more sense for them to put him on the outside and have Desmond King if he's kind of playing at his higher range of outcomes go inside. It, either way, having Harris there like certainly doesn't help Boyd. And, I mean, that secondary is now much better because we saw Casey Hayward last year. I mean, he was actually one of the league's worst cornerbacks and just production allowed in these shadow matchups. But it wasn't like guys were burning him. It was really just because he wasn't following into the slot, and that's where his guys were getting most of their production. So I'm interested. I, I agree it's not a good spot for Boyd, but I, he might not actually run all that many routes directly against Harris. So we'll see, man. But yeah, okay. Moving on. Sunday, 425. Buccaneers at Saints. Saints, three and a half point favorites over under 49 and a half. Look, TB12 and company, they got their work cut out for them immediately. This Saints defense is really freaking good. And I don't think we remember just how good they were last year. And then Marcus Davenport, unfortunately, you know, landed on the IR towards the end of the season and kind of, you know, helped spearhead that decline. But Cam Jordan and Marcus Davenport at DN. I mean, Demario Davis at OB. They added Malcolm Jenkins there at free safety. Now I got to Norris Jenkins as our cornerback too. And I know, you know, Mike Evans absolutely killed him last year. We've seen some up and down you know, performances from the artist formerly known as Jack Rabbit, but wasn't that many years ago where Jenkins was truly one of the game's better cornerbacks. And I think Marshawn Lattimore is a guy that we could be talking at the end of this year as one of the game's best cornerbacks if he's able to take a leap. So I just think this defense is really looking good. And, you know, I know we, the Saints were kind of used to this the Superdome kind of being like the course field of fantasy football, as someone called it, over the years and just these high-scoring games one after another. But I just wonder if we could kind of see the Saints just stomp the Buccaneers in week one, really not be that much of a back-and-forth affair like we're kind of all thinking it could be. I mean, PFF, you know, one of the core stats I've seen us throw out during this offseason is that the top three seasons of turnover-worthy plays in a season have been Andrew Luck, Carson Palmer, and Jameis Winston all in their first season in Bruce Arians' offense. And I know he's changed his moniker from no risk it, no biscuit, till you can't go broke, taking a profit. But I just, you know, would not be shocked if this Buccaneers offense is not as explosive as we've kind of made it out to be over the past six, seven months. Andrew, how are you feeling about the Saints? It's absolutely crazy that you opened with highlighting the fact of the Saints defense, and I'm going to do the same thing with the Bucks defense. So they're, like under, pro- they're both underrated, man. So we're both going to – I mean, I guess we're going to be leaning towards the under here because, I'm. I mean, I'm talking about the Bucks defense. That's kind of what I caught my eye when looking at this matchup. 
you know, Breeze posted 21 fantasy points against them last year in week 11. But after that game, they really got things together during that, the rest of the season. And even when they faced Deshaun Watson and Matt Ryan, you know, they held those guys to both, you know, outside the top 15 quarterbacks. They averaged under 14 fantasy points per game. And if you just look at everything during that second half, during that second half stretch, they were so much better. They were top 10 unit in coverage and pass rush. They obviously have, they have a great pass rush. They had the guy that led the sacks, led in sacks last year. So they're seriously underrated. And when you just look at fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks, it's just going to obviously show the Buccaneers ranked top three because they were just so bad during the beginning of the year. But a lot of that time was because the offenses had really easy ways to score because they had great field position because of all the turnovers from, from our boy, Jameis Winston. So that's not going to be the same case here. And even in the game with Breeze, there was actually a turnover that he was able to score really quickly on from an interception from Jameis. So again, I think this game, like we talked about two underrated defenses and, you know, people are definitely going into this being like, Oh, Brady breeze. It's going to be an explosive fire show. Like it's been 10 years ago that these guys have (laughs) played, but we got two 40 year old quarterbacks going at it. Like this game may not be the explosive shootout we all want it to be. Yeah. I do like the under here. Number Buccaneers are number six in defensive DVOA last season. Saints came in at number eight. Truly some good defenses in this, you know, expected firepower matchup. Sunday, 425, we got the Cardinals at the 49ers. 49ers are seven-point favorites, over-unders at 46 and a half. I just think we need to fire up Kenyon Drake with confidence immediately everywhere. I mean, the injury is not a concern. You know, I had Dr. Evan Porras from Fantasy Points on the podcast, and one of his quickest answers when I was just said, hey, what's the status on Kenyon Drake? Should we be worried? And he just said, no, let's move on. It's fine. Kingsbury is confirmed he's fine. Kenyon Drake is fine. He was a PPR RB4 in weeks 9 through 17 after he uh, uh, got to town. And, you know, just looking at DraftKings and expected salary, I think uh, Miles Sanders is going to be quite chalky. He's only $100 cheaper than Drake. He's got that perceived really good matchup against Washington. But again, I think that D-line's a little bit underrated there. And while the 49ers are far from, you know, an easy matchup, let's look at this defense right now. I mean, Buckner's now in Indy. Nick Bosa, you know, is being called week to week week with this muscle strain I'd like to see these practice reports and maybe he's out there but clearly he's not at 100% and we got Fred Warner there with stud linebacker on the COVID list currently so banged up version of the 49ers and lest we forget I mean the Cardinals were kind of the first offense to really give the 49ers any sort of problems last year and part of the reason why a lot of analysts including myself were high on the Chiefs knocking off the 49ers was because they utilized a similar you know RPO heavy offense as the Cardinals you know found so much success against San Francisco in the first place so they're more than willing to attack those kind of edges of the 49ers defense where they're a little more susceptible and you know I'm, I'm not saying the Cardinals necessarily got knocked them off I think their defense still has a lot of growing to do but this run game last year I mean, even if the passing game wasn't there for uh, Kyler and company the run game was already right up there with the Ravens and the most efficiency stats I think Ken and Drake could have a big week one on his way to having a big season Andrew how are you feeling about the 49ers I agree with Kenyon Drake even though I've, I've been the one at PFF that's basically trying to tell everyone to fade Kenyon Drake for the season long. But I think that in this week one matchup, I think that he, he really does have a good chance. So again, I haven't been a Kenyon Drake believer. So take it from me. Someone that hasn't <laughs> believed that you should, you should play in week one, especially now because the 49ers don't have DeForest Buckner. And I think that's a big gaping hole in their run defense. Cause they've been talking about how great he's been in Colts camp, but when it comes to the 49ers, Jimmy Garoppolo is probably my favorite kind of quarterback stream this week. I just love the numbers that he put up against the Arizona Cardinals last year. It was basically the only time we saw Garoppolo kind of be a legitimate quarterback. And it's like, hey, Kyle Shannon's like, hey, can you let me throw the ball? It's like, okay, sure. So we saw him, you know, average four passing touchdowns, 370 passing yards, nine yards per attempt. 
Dude absolutely smashed, almost averaged 30 fantasy points per game. So I think that Garoppolo, if you're looking, if you're kind of on the fringe of some of these quarterbacks, and we talked about Breeze, we talked about Matthew Stafford, some guys have probably drafted over Garoppolo. I would probably be leaning towards, hey, I think that you're better off kind of going to the waiver wire, maybe grabbing a guy like Garoppolo or maybe even like a Ben Roethlisberger. I would start Garoppolo over those guys. I think that the atmosphere is that much better. You know that at least the Cardinals are going to be able to also put up some points. You know, they have some weapons. They have DeAndre Hopkins. They have Kyler Murray. They have Kenyon Drake. So I don't expect the 49ers to just kind of roll in this game. I think it's going to be more competitive. Again, maybe this is the offensive shootout we want, and that isn't going to be in New Orleans and Tampa Bay. And the other part, too, as well, Garoppolo in one of those games, he was out without George Kittle. So it wasn't all because of Kittle that he was, you know, putting up this massive production. And and again, the Cardinals last year allowed the most yards after the catch. And that is the bread and butter of the Kyle Shanahan offense. He's going to get Debo involved, Ayuk, who look like they're more likely going to play in this game, which I think is huge for Garoppolo. Again, if those guys aren't playing, I'm going to simmer expectations a little bit for Garoppolo. But those guys are out there. I mean, if in limited capacity, Garoppolo's going to have enough weapons to do damage. Yeah, I understand Isaiah Simmons is awesome. He deserves some respect, but he's not going to take this defense from like the single worst unit we've ever seen against tight ends to like anything better than below average. And it's George Kittle we're talking about here. I mean, come on. That's the guy's first game of his life, first NFL game of his life. I don't think he's going to be able to single-handedly lock up Mr. Kittle. I I like the call. That could be the sneaky shootout everyone wants the Bucks and Saints to be. Sunday night football. we got the Collinsworth slide game featuring Cowboys at Rams. Cowboys three-point favorites over under is at 49 and a half fastest paced matchup of the week could have some points flying and I wonder what this Cowboys wide receiver makeup is going to look like because you know lost in Cooper's really kind of disappearing second half is just the reality that it was one brutal shadow matchup after another I mean Gilmore Tredavious White Darius Slade Jalen Ramsey you take on all these guys in those last you know seven eight weeks of the season and it's not getting any better right now because Jalen Ramsey is back to match Cooper all over the field Cooper only only caught one pass for 19 yards against Ramsey last season. And, you know, I do think, again, we overrate shadow matchups a little bit in terms of a fantasy land because a lot of times they don't spend all their snaps really across from these guys and they can get schemed open. But truly, once Ramsey joined the Rams last year, I mean, he shadowed Juju in the slot. He followed Allen Robinson in the slot a lot. I mean, they were really letting him go wherever. And the only other guys in the league that do that are Stephon Gilmore and Darius Slay. So, I am worried about Cooper in this matchup. He's a stud. I'm not saying you should bench him unless, you know, you really got some high-end wide receivers on the roster. But, you know, we got Troy Hill on the other side, who isn't a slouch either. He should be most of Gallup. But basically, my main point here is that I think we're going to see this happening a lot with the Cowboys, where we look at CeeDee Lamb from the friendly confines of the slot and go, wow, I mean, he's got the best matchup. He could have this massive game. So, you know, these Cowboys wide receivers have openly talked about how they all three want to get over 1,000 yards this year. It's really not out of, you know, it could happen. This offense is good enough in where they really could enable three fancy relevant wide receivers. Dak did it over the last eight games of last season when Cooper was having problems. So, you know, CeeDee Lamb, if you're in one of these, you know, maybe 16 team leagues or you just have some really tough matchups. Otherwise, I would not be afraid to fire up Lamb as a starter week one. Andrew, what are your thoughts on the Rams? Yeah, the Lamb matchup reminds me a lot of last year with the Jacksonville opener where we saw a one Mr. Sammy Watkins absolutely go nuclear because Jalen Ramsey was tied up with Tyreek Hill. So, again, it's not out of the range of outcomes. We saw it in week one last year where – and it, 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 it's kind of obvious that way. You think, hey, we should just target the number two when Jalen Ramsey's taking down the number one. So, I think that you're, you're definitely on to something there. But when it comes to the Rams, everyone wants to figure out, okay, like who's the running back going to be? 
Malcolm Brown is the projected starter, but you know, what does that really mean? So I looked the last time Malcolm Brown actually started a game was against the 49ers in week six with Todd Gurley on the shelf for a week. And he finished the day with 11 carries, 40 rushing yards, 67% of the offensive snaps in the same game. Daryl Henderson was the backup, but he had the same amount of carries rushed for more yards because he's better than Malcolm Brown. And he had two catches for 20 yards, despite seeing just 33% of the offensive snaps. So again, if Henderson is out, I think that you're definitely going to see it's just going to be Brown and Akers for sure. So that's going to give me more confidence in playing Akers. And I think that you can still play Akers even if Malcolm Brown is the projected starter. I don't think you need to deter away from Malcolm Brown being named the starter as I just laid out. That just means he's probably going to get more of the worst carries and inside the 20. And again, they're probably going to be splitting carries near the goal line. But if Akers busts off a long run because we know he can, like that's going to get you the fantasy points. And if the Rams fall behind, Daryl Henderson is inactive. There is no way Malcolm Brown is going to be in the game catching passes. So with the Dallas Cowboys projected to score a lot of points in this game, I like Akers to be used as a pass catcher in this atmosphere. Yeah, McVay keeps, you know, going out there. Everyone gives him a microphone. He talks about how he loves all the running backs they have. And he's seamlessly gone from, you know, oh, we have four running backs we like to now three. And I think before too long, Hill will be focusing on Mr. Cam Akers, arguably the easiest, you know, and clearest path to the top of his team's death chart of anyone outside of Clyde Ebersolaire in KC. Monday Night Football, we've got two Monday Night games this week. Always love that. Uh, first one, Pittsburgh Steelers at the New York Giants. Steelers are five-and-a-half-point favorites, over-unders 47. Rossberger, every single word about him has been positive this offseason. I mean, the elbow's apparently A-OK. He's fine, and he's throwing the ball well. So, you know, I think it's important to remember, like, do not fade him because of these home-and-away splits that were relevant for a few years, but were always a little bit fluky. I think they were grounded more in some tough matchups than necessarily anything that he's incapable of doing away from Heinz Field. And look, just look at 2018. He averaged 21.7 fantasy points per game on the road, 21.5 at home if you're worried about the elbow if you have you know a true top six eight quarterback i, I get it don't start rossberger but please do not bench this guy purely because of these outdated home and away splits uh, i think we can fire up you know ben juju Deontay, to a lesser extent, I guess I'm still a little worried uh, to see if he'll, you know, really emerges at number two ahead of Washington, Claypool, Ebron. But, you know, it's a good matchup for everyone, and especially James Conner. Oh, my goodness. I mean, look, here it is, man. We talked about this during the offseason. Like, James Conner, if we could turn injuries off in real life, he would be a consensus top ten backs. You know, I, I, haven't seen, I haven't looked at your running back rankings yet, but I would hope that James Conner, if he's not in that top ten, is really flirting with it because he's healthy right now, and he has set up the ball out this week. So, one, Andrew, how you feel about Connor? And two, talking about the Giants. Yeah, I love Connor, and I'll make sure I adjust the ranks accordingly. If for some <laughs> reason my my projections and spreadsheets did not put James Connor in my top ten, because I agree with you, especially with you know Mike Tomlin. It's just it's just great. You know, Mike Tomlin's just so honest with us. He's just like, yeah, this is our guy. Where we get different things from Bruce Arians every single day, because it seems like the only thing that we ever get reports on with running backs is just what's going on in Tampa Bay, where we don't get any other reports about any other running back rooms, but. Again, like, you, like you've done before, I, I digress when it comes to that. But when it comes to the Giants side of things, again, this game is shaping up to, at least in my opinion, it could be potentially disaster for the New York Giants. It's, it just doesn't look good on a matchup perspective. You have Daniel Jones entering his second season, but now he's a new offensive coordinator, a new head coach, and he's playing the best defense in the league from last year. And Daniel Jones was a 
turnover machine, which was one of his biggest problems, just holding onto the ball. And again, we saw the upside. We saw the big plays against Tampa Bay, Detroit, the Jets, Washington. But those are not the defenses he's going to be playing on Monday night. He's playing the Pittsburgh freaking Steelers. And that's why I looked at the splits for his receivers and tight ends in these games against tougher matchups. But when I looked at it, basically you see, okay, it's Sterling Shepard that ranks highest in targets per game. It's Golden Tate that ranks highest in fantasy points per game. And Ingram is kind of falling in between. So again, I see Ingram ranked pretty high across the industry just because of, okay, he's probably a really good tight end. But the way that this game is just shaping to play out, I think, you know, Daniel Jones in these bad matchups, he averaged 12 and a half fantasy points per game. So I'm just not so sure that Daniel Jones just has enough in him to just output enough to make Evan Ingram a, a worthy start at tight end or any of these receivers of being quite frank. So I'm concerned about Evan Ingram for sure this week, even though I think that he's obviously a really talented player. I just think that he's probably going to, it's going to be, he's going to need a touchdown because or else I'm looking at a four for 40 yard game. If Daniel Jones is your quarterback. You know, don't cut him, put him on the bench and then pick up Tyrod Taylor. Like we've been telling you for months and get that cozier matchup. Yeah, this is brutal. Steelers defense, you know, easily number one in the league in pressure and havoc last season. Yeah, it's, you know, you want to start Evan Ingram if he's healthy, even though it's not a good matchup. But it's it's definitely more of a question than normal, and I'm with you. I'm not starting any of these wide receivers in this spot, although I do remain, you know, a little high on Sterling Shepard's outlook the rest of the way. All right, last game, second Monday night game. we got the Tennessee Titans at the Denver Broncos. believe this one is like a 10 p.m. Eastern time kickoff. So we're going to be up late next Monday. Broncos two-point favorites over under is 41. The Titans – Let's see what A.J. Brown's made of. Let's see what this wide receiver one looks like because I've had this dude my top 10 because I just think this is the one situation, you know, when I look at the guys I'm high, mostly high on this year, it's, you know, all volume related. This is the one situation where I'm punting the volume a little bit in favor of the talent. I mean, shattered the PFF database for yards after the catch per reception in a season, set the rookie record for yards per target. He didn't even reach 70% snaps in the game until week 10 in November. So I think, you know, when people kind of lazily throw out this, oh, just regression, he's going to regress. He's got, how can you trust him? He's going to regress because the volume's going to go up. And because when someone is that good, we shouldn't just assume that they're going to regress this like league average level. He doesn't need to average 12 and a half yards per catch. It's great. We know he can do that because no one else has ever proven they can really do that as a rookie. But even if he goes down to 10, he has 100, you know, 10 targets. We're still in business. So really think we should see big time game from AJ Brown out of the gates. You know, I'm really nervous as we get closer and closer. If we see Corey Davis make this more of a, you know, 1A, 1B situation than, you know, we might have anticipated. But I truly think the talent will win out for AJ Brown in Tennessee. Andrew, how are you feeling about Drew Locke and the Broncos? Yeah, I mean, Drew Locke, what a guy. I just think that he's good for people that own Cortland Sutton because that's who he's going to throw the ball to. He was hyper-targeting him all last year during that five-game stretch, 24% target rate on routes run, and he targeted him heavily in the end zone, led the league in end zone targets with six. So I think that Cortland Sutton's really your main you know, receiver you want to target here. The Titans offer pretty soft secondary. I'm not afraid of, of Malcolm Butler, who – you know, has routinely been a corner you've actually wanted to play against your wide receivers. And I think that what's important to point out here is the Titans are definitely susceptible to the deep ball. And I think that's where Colton Sutton can really shine. And I think with Pat Shermer coming in, we saw Daniel Jones be really aggressive downfield. And I think that that had a little bit of Pat Shermer influence to it. So Drew Locke dropped bombs at Missouri. He was wicked conservative last year with 
Rich Gangarello. I don't think that's going to be what we see this year. I think we're going to see him be a little bit more aggressive down the field. And the last time Sutton played the Titans, he had a solid, solid game, four catches for 72 yards. But the important thing to point out was his A dot was 17 yards down the field. So they were already looking to get him loose down the field. So I do like the matchup there. And Titans defense last year also ranked bottom eight in deep pass attempts allowed. So I like Cortland Sutton. I think that people, I mean, he's one of my guys for this year. So I'm obviously going to like him in week one. Yeah, and, you know, I, I do think he'll be shadowed by Adoree Jackson, but that's a matchup. He can win. And, you know, Adoree, I feel like people hate on him a little more than they should because, yeah, he, you know, he's lost some high-profile shadow matchups to Tyreek Hill, Antonio Brown, and but who hasn't? And, you know, I think we do – we should give these, you know, shadow cornerbacks a little more slack because, like, lesser players can't even earn that type of opportunity from their coaches because they're not good enough and they won't, you know, be put on an island with the best receiver. So, yeah, you know, I'm not going to shy away from, you know, playing – Sutton targeting Adoree, but just keep in mind, before, you know, Sutton's so good. So when he's, you know, beating Adoree Jackson like a drum, just uh, realize that that doesn't mean Adoree is a bad corner by any stretch of the imagination. So, all right, man, that's going to do it. 16 up, 16 down. Hope everyone got some fun, fancy nuggets out of this. Again, this podcast will be coming every Wednesday early in the week, and we want to try to make it as evergreen as possible up until Sunday. So everyone follow Andrew on Twitter at Andrew Erickson underscore. Don't forget that last underscore there. Andrew, what do, you, what do you got in the pipeline for us this week, man, content-wise? We got a big matchups, rankings, everything about all the games, just all the deep dives, the deep nuggets, the stats coming out later this week. Got some DFS stuff coming out as well. We're going to help you guys win some money. We got some mailbag action coming. So if you have any questions, specifically your start sits, anything like that, I got a start sit already up on the website. So go make sure you check that out. And, yeah, it's, it's going to be week one. You know, slide into the DMs. They're open. Ask questions. Let's get this party started. Let's go. Yeah, I always, you know, I was complaining on Twitter. I don't like when people reply, like, okay, if I tweet something about Tyree Kill and then, you know, I get a start sick question about like Saquon Barkley or someone, it, it, that kind of annoys me. I'm happy to answer start sick questions, but yeah, slide into the DMs or just make it a, you know, direct at. Don't take the conversation away from some other player. So it's all fun and games anyway. No one's getting mad here. We're talking about fantasy football. Make sure to also check out Andrew and myself on SiriusXM. We are now hosting shows over there. I'm going Saturdays, 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern time on channel Sirius 210 XM 87. Andrew, what time are you on again? I am at 7 to 9 p.m. And I believe you'll be my first guest on, at 7. You got it, man. We'll be breaking down those games and previewing the games on Saturday. So check that out. If you are serious fans, we'll always have the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast with Andrew back on at least once a month, uh, once a month throughout the rest of the way. So thank you all for listening. I'm Ian Hart. He's Andrew Erickson. Take care, everyone. Peace.